0: SECTION 22 OF COME RACK, COME Rope." THIS IS A LIBRIVOX RECORDING. ALL LIBRIVOX RECORDINGS ARE IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. FOR MORE INFORMATION OR TO VOLUNTEER, PLEASE VISIT LIBRIVOX.ORG. RECORDING BY JAMES CARSON. COME RACK, COME Rope" BY ROBERT HUGH BENSON. BOOK THREE. CHAPTER THREE. PART ONE. IT WAS IN THE EVENING OF THE FOURTH DAY, AFTER THEIR START, THAT riding up alongside of the Blythe, they struck out to the northwest, away from the trees and saw the woods of chartley not half a mile away robin sighed with relief though as a fact his adventure was scarcely more than begun since he had yet to learn how he could get speech with the queen but at least he was within sight of her and of his own country as well far away eastwards beyond the hills not twenty miles off lay darby it had been a melancholy ride, in spite of the air of freedom through which they rode, since news had come to them, in more than one place, of the fortunes of the Babington Party. A courier, riding fast, had passed them as they sighted Buckingham, and by the time they came in he was gone again on government business, it was said, and the little town hummed with rumors out of which emerged at any rate the certainty that the whole company had been captured at coventry again the tidings had travelled faster than themselves for here it was reported that mr babington and mr churnock had been racked and in Lichfield, last of all the tale was complete and as they learned later tolerably accurate too it was from a clerk in the inn there that the story came who declared that there was no secrecy about the matter any longer and that he himself had seen the tale in writing it ran as follows the entire plot had been known from the beginning. Gilbert Gifford had been an emissary of Walsingham's throughout, and every letter that passed to and from the various personages had passed through the secretary's hand and been deciphered in his house. There never had been one instant in which Mr. Walsingham had been at fault or in the dark. He had gone so far, it was reported, as to insert in one of the letters that was to go to Mr. Babington a request for the names of all the conspirators, and in return there had come from him not only a list of the names, but a pictured group of them, with Mr. Babington himself in the midst. This picture had actually been shown to her grace in order that she might guard herself against private assassination, since two or three of the group were in her own household it is like to go hard with the scots queen said the clerk bitterly she has gone too far this time robin said nothing to commit himself for he did not know on which side the man ranged himself but he drew him aside after dinner and asked whether it might be possible to get a sight of the queen i am riding to derby he said with my man but if to turn aside at chartley would give us a chance of seeing her i would do so a queen in captivity is worth seeing and i can see you are a man of influence the clerk looked at him shrewdly he was a man plainly in love with his own importance and the priest's last words were balm to him it might be done he said i do not know robin saw the impression he had made and that the butter could not be too thick i am sure you could do it for me he said if any man could but i understand that a man of your position may be unwilling the clerk solemnly laid a hand on the priest's arm well i will tell you this he said get speech with mr Bourgoign, her apothecary he alone has access to her now besides her own women it might be he could put you in some private place to see her go by this was not much use thought robin but at least it gave him something to begin at so he thanked the clerk solemnly and reverentially and was rewarded by another discreet pat on the arm the sight of the chartley woods tall and splendid in the light of the setting sun and already tinged here and there with the first marks of autumn brought his indecision to a point and he realized he had no plan he had heard that mary occasionally rode abroad and he hoped perhaps to get speech with her that way but what he had heard from the clerk and others showed him that this small degree of liberty was now denied to the queen in some way or another he must get news of mr bourgoin beyond that he knew nothing the great gates of chartley were closed as the two came up to them there was a lodge beside them and a sentry stood there a bell was ringing from the great house within the woods no doubt for supper time but there was no other human being besides the sentry to be seen so robin did not even check his weary horse but turned only with a deliberately curious air as he went past and rode straight on then as he rounded a corner he saw smoke going up from houses it seemed outside the park what is that asked arnold suddenly do you hear a sound of a galloping horse grew louder behind them and a moment afterwards the sound of another the two priests were still in view of the sentry and knowing that chartley was guarded now as if it had all the treasures of the earth within robin reflected that to show too little interest might arouse as sharp suspicion as too much so he wheeled his horse round and stopped to look they heard the challenge of the sentry within and then the unbarring of the gates an instant later a courier dashed out and wheeled to the right while at the same time the second galloper came into view another courier on a jaded horse and the two passed the one plainly riding to london the second arriving from it the gates were yet open but the second was challenged once more before he was allowed to pass and his hoofs sounded on the road that led to the house then the gates clashed together again Robin turned his horse's head once more toward the houses, conscious more than ever how near he was to the nerves of England's life and what tragic ties they were between the two royal cousins that demanded such a furious and frequent exchange of messages. We must do our best here, he said, nodding toward the little hamlet. Part two it was plainly a newly grown little group of houses that bordered the side of the road away from the enclosed park sprung up as a kind of overflow lodging from the dependence necessary to such a suddenly increased household for the houses were no more than wooden buildings ill-roofed and ill-built with the sap scarcely yet finished oozing from the ends of the beams and the planks Smoke was issuing, in most cases, from rough holes cut in the roofs, and in the last rays of sunshine two or three men were sitting on stools set out before the houses. Robin checked his horse before a man whose face seemed kindly, and who saluted courteously the fine gentleman who looked about with such an air. "'My horse is dead spent,' he said curtly. "'Is there an inn here where my man and I can find lodging?' The man shook his head, looking at the horse compassionately. He had the air of a groom about him. I fear not, sir, not within five miles, at least not with a room to spare. This is chartley, is it not? asked the priest, noticing that the next man, too, was listening. Aye, sir, can you tell me if my friend Mr. Bourgoyne lodges in the house, or without the gates? Mr. Burgoyne, sir, a friend of yours?' I HOPE SO, SAID ROBIN, SMILING AND KEEPING AT LEAST WITHIN THE LETTER OF TRUTH. THE MAN MUSED A MOMENT. IT IS POSSIBLE HE MIGHT HELP YOU, SIR. HE LODGES IN THE HOUSE, BUT HE COMES SOMETIMES TO SEE A WOMAN WHO IS SICK HERE. ROBIN DEMANDED WHERE SHE LIVED. AT THE LAST HOUSE, SIR, A LITTLE BEYOND THE REST. SHE IS ONE OF HER GRACE'S kitchen women. THEY MOVED HER OUT HERE, THINKING IT MIGHT BE THE FEVER SHE HAD. This was plainly a communicative fellow, but the priest thought it wiser not to take too much interest. He tossed the man a coin and rode on. The last house was a little better built than the others and stood further back from the road. Robin dismounted here, and, with a nod to Mr. Arnold, who was keeping his countenance admirably, walked up to the door and knocked on it. It was opened instantly, as if he were expected, but the woman's face fell when she saw him is mr burgoyne within asked the priest the woman glanced over him before answering and then out to where the horses waited no sir she said at last we were looking for him just now she broke off he is coming now she said robin turned and there walking down the road was an old man leaning on a stick richly and soberly dressed in black wearing a black beaver hat on his head a man servant followed him at a little distance the priest saw that here was an opportunity ready-made but there was one more point on which he must satisfy himself first and what seemed to him an inspiration came to his mind he looks like a minister he said carelessly a curious veiled look came over the woman's face robin made a bold venture he smiled full in her face you need not fear he said i quarrel with no man's religion and at the look in her face at this he added you are catholic i suppose well i am one too and so i suppose is mr burgoyne the woman smiled tremulously and the fear left her eyes yes sir she said all the friends of her grace are catholics i think he nodded to her again genially then turning he went to meet the apothecary who was now not thirty yards away it was a pathetic old figure that was hobbling toward him. He seemed a man of near seventy years old, with a close-cropped beard and spectacles on his nose, and he carried himself heavily and ploddingly. Robin argued to himself that it must be a kindly man who would come out at this hour, perhaps the one hour he had to himself to visit a poor dependent. Yet all this was sheer conjecture, and as the old man came near he saw there was something besides kindliness in the eyes that met his own he saluted boldly and deferentially mr burgoyne he said in a low voice i must speak five minutes with you and i ask you to make as if you were my friend the old man stiffened like a watch dog. it was plain that he was on his guard i do not know you sir i entreat you to do as i ask i am a priest sir i entreat you to take my hand as if we were friends a look of surprise went over the physician's face you can send me packing in ten minutes went on robin rapidly at the same time holding out his hand and we will talk here in the road if you wish there was still a moment's hesitation then he took the priest's hand i am come straight from london went on robin still speaking clearly yet with his lips scarcely moving a fortnight ago I talked with Mr. Babington. The old man drew his arm close within his own. "'You have said enough or too much at present, sir. You shall walk with me a hundred yards up this road and justify what you have said.' "'We have had a weary ride of it, Mr. Burgoyne. I am on the road to Derby,' went on Robin, talking loudly enough now to be overheard, as he hoped, by any listeners. "'And my horse is spent.' I WILL TELL YOU MY BUSINESS, HE ADDED IN A LOWER TONE, AS SOON AS YOU BID ME. FIFTY YARDS UP THE ROAD THE OLD MAN PRESSED HIS ARM AGAIN. YOU CAN TELL ME NOW, SIR, HE SAID, BUT WE WILL WALK, IF YOU PLEASE, WHILE YOU DO SO. FIRST, SAID ROBIN, AFTER A MOMENT'S CONSIDERATION AS TO HIS BEST BEGINNING, I WILL TELL YOU THE NAME I GO BY. IT IS MR. ALBIN. I AM A NEWLY-MADE PRIEST, AS I TOLD YOU JUST NOW i came from Rheims scarcely a fortnight ago i am from derbyshire and i will tell you my proper name at the end if you wish it repeat the blessing of the deacon by the priest at mass murmured mr burgoyne to the amazement of the other without the change of an inflection in his voice or a movement of his hand dominus sit in corde tuo et in labiis began the priest that is enough sir for the present Well next said robin hardly yet recovered from the extraordinary promptness of the challenge next i was speaking with mr babington a fortnight ago in what place in the inn called the red bull in cheapside good i have lodged there myself said the other and you are one no sir said robin i do not deny that i spoke with them all with mr charnock and "'That is enough of those names, sir,' said the other, with a small and fearful lift of his white eyebrows, as if he dreaded the very trees that nearly met overhead in this place. "'And what is your business?' "'I have satisfied you, then,' began Robin. "'Not at all, sir. You have answered sufficiently so far. That is all. I wish to know your business.' The night following the day on which the men fled, of whom I have just spoken, I had a letter from from their leader he told me that all was lost and he gave me a letter to her grace here he felt the thin old sinews under his hand contract suddenly and paused go on sir whispered the old voice a letter to her grace sir i was to use my discretion whether i carried it with me or learned it by rote. i have other interests at stake besides this and i used my discretion and destroyed the letter but you have some writing no doubt i have none said robin i have my word only there was a pause was the message private private only to her grace's enemies i will tell you the substance of it now if you will the old man without answering steered his companion nearer to the wall then he relinquished the supporting arm and leaned himself against the stones FIXING HIS EYES FULL UPON THE PRIEST, AND SEARCHING, AS IT SEEMED, EVERY FEATURE OF HIS FACE AND EVERY DETAIL OF HIS DRESS. WAS THE MESSAGE IMPORTANT, SIR? IMPORTANT ONLY TO THOSE WHO VALUE LOVE AND FIDELITY. I WOULD DELIVER IT MYSELF, THEN? CERTAINLY, SIR, IF YOU WILL GIVE ME YOUR WORD TO DELIVER IT TO HER GRACE, AS I DELIVER IT TO YOU AND TO NONE ELSE. I WILL RIDE ON AND TROUBLE YOU NO MORE. "'That is enough,' said the physician decidedly. "'I am completely satisfied, Mr. Albin. "'All that remains is to consider how I can get you to her grace.' "'But if you yourself will deliver,' began Robin. "'An extraordinary spasm passed over the other's face "'that might denote any fierce emotion, either of anger or grief. "'Do you think it is that?' he hissed. "'Why, man, where is your priesthood?' do you think the poor dame within would not give her soul for a priest why i have prayed god night and day to send us a priest she is half mad with sorrow and who knows whether ever again in this world he broke off his face all distorted with pain and robin felt a strange thrill of glory at the thought that he bore in him in virtue of his priesthood only so much consolation he faced for the first time that tremendous call of which he had heard so much in Rheims, that desolate cry of souls that longed and longed in vain for those gifts which a priest of Christ could alone bestow. The question is, the old man was saying more quietly, how to get you in to her grace. Why, Sir Amias opens her letters even, and reseals them again. He thinks me a fool, and that I do not know what he does." "'Do you know aught of medicine?' he asked abruptly. "'I know only what country folks know of herbs. "'And their names, their Latin names, man?' "'Pursued the other, leaning forward. "'Robin half smiled. "'Now you speak of it,' he said. "'I have learned a good many as a pastime when I was a boy. "'I was something of an herbalist, even. "'But I have forgotten. "'Bah! "'That would be enough for Sir Amias.' he turned and spat venomously at the name sir amyas knows nothing save his own vile trade he is a lout no more he is as grim as a goose always and you have a town air about you he went on running his eyes critically over the young man's dress those are french clothes they were bought in france the two stood silent robin's excitement beat in all his veins in spite of his weariness HE HAD COME TO BEAR A HUMAN MESSAGE ONLY TO A BEREAVED QUEEN, AND IT SEEMED AS IF HIS WORK WERE TO BE RATHER THE BEARING OF A DIVINE MESSAGE TO A LONELY SOUL. HE WATCHED THE OLD MAN'S FACE EAGERLY. IT WAS SUNK IN THOUGHT. THEN MR. Burgoyne TOOK HIM ABRUPTLY BY THE ARM. GIVE ME YOUR ARM AGAIN, HE SAID. I AM AN OLD MAN. WE MUST BE GOING BACK AGAIN. IT SEEMS AS IF GOD HEARD OUR PRAYERS AFTER ALL. I WILL SEE YOU DISPOSED FOR TONIGHT, YOU AND YOUR MAN AND THE HORSES, AND I WILL SEND FOR YOU MYSELF IN THE MORNING. COULD YOU SAY MASS, THINK YOU, IF I FOUND YOU A SECURE PLACE, AND BRING OUR LORD'S BODY WITH YOU IN THE MORNING? HE CHECKED THE YOUNG MAN TO HEAR HIS ANSWER. WHY, YES, SAID ROBIN, I HAVE ALL THINGS THAT ARE NEEDED. THEN YOU SHALL SAY MASS IN ANY CASE, AND RESERVE OUR LORD'S BODY IN A PIX. NOW LISTEN TO ME. IF MY PLAN FALLS AS I HOPE, YOU MUST BE A PHYSICIAN TO-MORROW, AND HAVE PRACTICED YOUR TRADE IN PARIS. YOU HAVE BEEN IN PARIS? NO, SIR. BAH! WELL, NO MORE HAS, SIR AMIAS. YOU HAVE PRACTICED YOUR TRADE IN PARIS, AND GOD HAS GIVEN YOU GREAT SKILL IN THE MATTER OF HERBS, AND, UPON HEARING THAT I WAS IN CHARTLEY, YOU inquired FOR YOUR OLD FRIEND, WHOSE ACQUAINTANCE YOU HAD MADE IN PARIS FIVE YEARS AGO and I, upon hearing you will come, secured your willingness to see my patient, if you would but consent. Your reputation has reached me even here. You have attended His Majesty in Paris on three occasions. You restored Mademoiselle Élise, of the family of Guise from the very point of death. You are but a young man still. Yet, bah, it is arranged, you understand? Now come with me. End of Book 3, Chapter 3. Recording by James Carson.